me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. This morning, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to be reading several portions of the scripture. And we're reading from the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read these portions of the scripture as we go through this message. So I want you to keep your Bible open. I'm just going to read verse 1 to start with. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. Last week I shared with you from the Sermon on the Mount regarding the teachings of Jesus about worry. And we've been talking about the Jesus you can't ignore. Everyone who ignores Jesus does so at their own peril. To ignore him and the teachings of his word. Leaves you in darkness. And so every man and woman who has received Christ, who has acknowledged him, you know that when you acknowledge him and when you take him to heart, that he is the source of light and of blessing for every light. Today I want to speak about the introduction of grace. Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount in the portions we're going to be reading today, beginning at verse 21, in just a minute, he gives us an introduction of the grace of God operating in the life of the believer. But we start here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you also that you are our teacher. We ask you to come and teach us now and that you would speak to our hearts by your living, powerful, and inspired word. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Right where you are, keep your Bible open. Glance down to verse 21 in this chapter. And let us study together the teachings of Jesus as he introduces us to the idea or the concept of grace. What is grace? Well, if you understand the, the original or the most commonly known meaning of grace, uh, it is the unmerited favor of God. John Newton wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He was talking about the fact that God has shown us favor even though we did not deserve it. That is the first meaning of grace. How many of you have received the unmerited favor of God? How many of you acknowledge that what you have received from God you didn't deserve, but you were given it as a gift? That is the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. But there's a second meaning to grace. And that is that grace is divine help. Grace is God's power at work in us, enabling us to do the things we could not do on our own. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, I labor more than all of the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying, I work a lot, I labor a lot in the gospel, far beyond my human ability. And yet it's not me doing it, 
but God's grace doing it in me. How many of you have experienced God's help as you go through your daily life and you've experienced the help of the Almighty God? Sometimes you have to go to a meeting or a job interview and you wonder, what am I going to say? How am I going to respond? And then the Lord helps you. And you say things you didn't plan on saying. And you are able to secure a job. Or you're able to get the contract. Because of the grace of God operating in your life. Maybe somebody asks you about your faith. And all of a sudden you start teaching them about the Bible. And you say, I didn't even know. I knew all of that. But the grace of God is operating in your life. So let's just give God thanks for his grace this morning. For his help and for his favor on our life. The New Testament is the great divide from the age of law to the age of grace. In the Old Testament, Moses received the law of God at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, he was given the Ten Commandments, as well as 613 other laws that governed governed the, the conduct of the nation of Israel. But now Jesus is on the scene. And Jesus is a greater prophet than Moses. And now he's on a mountain. And he now begins to give us not 613 commandments. But he begins to paint a picture of what the grace of God looks like when it's operating in your life. You see the great difference was that the law could only deal with the external. But the grace of God is now going to come and deal with the internal. The law could only address the outer man. But the grace of God comes to address the inner man. It is well known and should be well understood by every believer. That out of the inner man flow the issues of life. The Bible says above all things guard your heart. Because out of your heart flow the issues of life. What makes you truly great, what makes you truly blessed, is not the external things, but it is what's in your heart. It is the inner man that determines your joy, that determines your peace, that determines your satisfaction. And so we have today an opportunity to see a great contrast between the law of Moses and the law of grace. At Mount Sinai, we see Moses alone with God. Moses went up and for 40 days met with God at Mount Sinai because the people were afraid to go up and approach God because the mountain was on fire. The presence of God being so mighty and fearsome, the people refused to go up. But now, at the Sermon on the Mount, the people come to Jesus and God sits with the people and teaches them. This is one of the greatest things that grace does is that grace sits down with you and teaches you listen friends you cannot have and will not have a better teacher than the holy spirit of grace for he is the one that sits with you and walks with you and teaches you all things say amen if you know what i'm talking about this morning at mount sinai we see the law written on the tablets of stone God wrote his law on pieces of, of rock, of stone. At, Mount, at the Sermon on the Mount, we see God writing now on the human heart. 
You see, the law of Moses could only address the external. And so Moses' law was written on tablets of stone. But Jesus comes to write his law upon your heart. He comes so that you can be changed from the inside out. There was an old chorus they used to sing when I was a little boy. It said, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. That is the way it works, friend. When you come to God, when you sit at the the feet of Jesus, when you are taught by the grace of God, an internal work begins to show itself externally. Religion tries to change your outward appearance, but it cannot change your heart. Religion will dress you in a dress code, but it cannot dress the inner man. But when God's grace comes into your life, the grace of God changes the inner man. And then you start to say, you know what, I don't want to dress like I used to dress. I don't want to speak like I used to speak. I don't want to think like I used to think. Because something has taken place on the inside. And this morning, this ought to be the prayer of every one of our hearts. Oh God, let me be taught by the spirit of grace. Let me be taught by you so that I can become more and more like Jesus. Come on, if you want to be like Jesus, say amen. Now this, something else is revealed here. The Sermon on the Mount offers us a comparison between law and grace. And so we can see that there are limits to to law. The law was limited to the external man. But grace is unlimited. Grace deals with the unlimited inner man. And listen, friends, if the, if the grace of God is teaching you, if you're being taught by the Spirit of God, then your inner man begun, begins to be formed into the likeness of Jesus, and this is an unlimited possibility. The law required the blood of bulls and goats in order to purify objects. Listen closely to that. Because in the Old Testament, the blood was used to purify objects. It purified the furniture in the tabernacle. And it purified the temple. But now, the grace of God has enabled us to come through the blood of Jesus. And now our conscience can be purified. Now our will is shaped to the will of God. And now our heart is made whole. There is an unlimited possibility now to what God can do in a life touched by His amazing grace. At the giving of the law, 3,000 people died. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the people were worshiping that golden calf, 3,000 people died. But when the Spirit of God came upon the church on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came into new birth experience. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that the law brought death and judgment, but grace brings life and it brings deliverance. Somebody say amen, because you and I have received the almighty grace of God. Many today try to live by the law, but they find that it is limited. Yet those of us who stand in the grace of God find that it is unlimited. There is nothing the grace of God cannot teach you to do. And there is no place that it cannot empower you for the will of God to be done in your life. Now, beginning at verse 21 of chapter 5 of Matthew, do you still have your Bible open? If you don't, go back to Matthew chapter 5 because I want you to see these things with me. 
You said, Pastor, I didn't bring my Bible. Then, then bring it next time, but go on your digital device and open up your Bible there to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Because I want to teach you here how Jesus gives us six examples of the grace of God operating in the life of a believer. He gives us six examples of how his power can change your life. And I believe today that there are probably more than six things. Of course, grace is unlimited. But I believe today that any one of these six things can apply to your life. And you may need it right now. So I want you to be aware of what God's grace has made available to you. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 21. We're going to do a little Bible study this morning. Is that all right? Is it all right if we study the Bible at church? All right, look with me. Verse 21, Jesus said, You have heard the ancients were told. Now in verse 27, he says, You have heard that it was said. Verse 31, he says, It was said. Verse 33, again, you have heard that the ancients were told. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said. And verse 43, you have heard that it was said. Six times Jesus says, you have heard. What's going on here? Well, Jesus is not quoting the Old Testament verbatim, but he is quoting the way that the people of his time quoted the Bible by memory. And this happens in every culture, I'm sure. That many times people do not know what the Bible actually says. They only know what they heard that it said. And Jesus is pointing out to them at the beginning of this study that there are a lot of things you may have heard that weren't accurate. Because you need to go back to the source. You need to go back to the word of God itself. Don't ever depend upon what you have heard. Somebody said that the Bible says this. Or the Bible says that. Some people say, well, the Bible says. And then they throw some words together that aren't even in the Bible anywhere. You want to be careful about that. Some people say, well, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. Some people say, well, the Bible says the Lord works in mysterious ways. Also not in the Bible. You've got to be sure that you don't just go by what you've heard, but that you go to the source. Go to the Word of God. Say amen, somebody. Listen, you and I cannot afford to, in the 21st century, to live our spiritual life by what somebody else told you. You need the word of God for yourself. You need the Bible for yourself. Say amen, somebody. And we have a lot of this today, don't we? Well, I heard, especially with COVID-19, well, I heard this, and I heard that, and I saw this on the radio, or, I, or on the TV, or I heard this on the radio. Jesus here is saying, you have heard, but I say. 
He's saying, I don't want to teach you based on what you heard. I want you to know what I have to say about it. I want you to come to the source. Can I tell you today, America, it's time to go back to the source. It's time to go to the Word of God. It's time to go to Jesus. Say amen, somebody. He is the source. It's not about what you may have heard. It's about what he says today. And he wants you to know him. And to know his word. So let's look at these six things. He says you have heard. It's that the ancients were told. You shall not commit murder. That's in verse 21. But I say to you. That everyone who is angry with his brother. Shall be guilty. Before the court. What's going on here. Now remember I told you. Jesus is teaching us. How grace operates in your life how the spirit of God teaches you he said Moses gave you the law you shall not commit murder but the law could only deal with the outer man so as long as you didn't kill somebody you were keeping the law even though your heart was filled with hate and bitterness and and rejection and brokenness The law couldn't address any of those things. All the law could do was say, don't kill your neighbor. Don't kill your brother. But Jesus says, look now, grace is going to raise the standard. And grace is not not going to lower the standard. Some people think grace allows you to do anything you want. But grace doesn't lower the standard. Grace raises the standard. And he says, now I say to you, if you're angry with your brother... You're guilty before the court. He's saying to them, listen, I have come to address the inner man. I have come to take the anger and the bitterness out of your heart. Because if I can take the anger and bitterness out of your heart, then you won't need to murder your brother. You're going to love your brother and you're going to heal your relationships. How important is this to God? Well, in verse 23, look at what he says there. If you are presenting an an offering at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave the offering before the altar and go and first be reconciled with your brother and then come and present your offering. Look, Look how important this is to God. Jesus says... When grace is operating in your life, you're going to go and you're going to be doing your religious responsibilities. And you're going to be doing your spiritual responsibilities. And you're going to remember. The Holy Spirit's going to bring to your mind that there is somebody in your life that has a grudge against you. It may not even be that you have a grudge against them, but they have a grudge against you. He says, leave your offering there. And go and reconcile first. Go and take care of that problem. And then come and give your offering. What is God saying? He's saying more important than your offering is your heart. More important than the physical things that you can do. Is the change that's taking place in your heart. And So he's teaching us to forgive. He's teaching us that the grace of God empowers us to forgive those who we have uh, been offended by or who we have offended to receive forgiveness from them. 
He wants us to have a pure heart. He wants our heart to be free from anger and from bitterness. And this can only take place by the grace of God. Friend, if you're carrying anger and bitterness today, I want to invite you to give it to Jesus because His grace alone can free you from that burden and make you free so that you can serve the living God, so that you can become the man and woman that God wants you to be free from all of those burdens. Because listen, anger and bitterness are a burden to your soul. And they will drag you down. They will destroy your inner man. But the grace of God has come to make you free. And many of us here can testify to the power of the grace of God. Because many in this, in this audience have been subjected to vile and terrible offenses. Some have been, uh, have been abused as children. Some have experienced uh, the cheating of their, of their business. Or of their, of their finances. Others have experienced terrible lies and, uh, and false accusations. But all of us have experienced what happens when you say, God, I forgive, I let it go. And the grace of God comes and heals and delivers and frees. Verse, in now verse 21, pardon, verse 27. This is example number two. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. You shall not commit adultery. Now, Jesus is addressing another problem. In the ancient Jewish world, a man could get an adult, uh, could get a divorce. Pardon, I'm, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks that a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here now we see that Jesus is saying the law could not deal with lust. It could not deal with the impurity of the human heart and desire. It could not control the flesh. And so as long as a man or woman did not commit a physical act of adultery, then they were not breaking the law. But here it is again. Jesus raises the standard. And he says, I haven't come. And I'm not going to die on the cross. Just so that you can continue to live with the bondage of lust. So that you can continue to live with the bondage of, of pornography. I have come and my grace has come to set you free from that bondage. And I've come to let you know that if your heart is pure, your actions will be pure. So let me purify your heart. Come on, somebody. He wants to purify your heart. He wants to purify our thinking. And then he says, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Now Jesus is using here what we call hyperbole. He is, he is not telling you to go cut off your hand or pluck out your eye literally. But he's saying, listen, your spiritual life and your eternal life are worth more than physical things. And if your hand or your eye is causing you to sin, then it's better to get rid of those physical things than to lose your whole soul. He's saying your soul is so valuable to God. That, that nothing in this world should be valued by you above your soul and above your spirit. And today, he's telling you, if your soul is contaminated and full of lust 
and of pornography and of the brokenness of the flesh's desire come to me and my grace will set you free and cleanse you and make you the man or the woman that God designed for you to be. There is only freedom in Jesus. Come on, somebody. There is only freedom in Jesus, and his freedom is freedom indeed. Now, verse 31. Again, he says, you have heard it said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a bill or a certificate of divorce. But I say that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. Now what's Jesus talking about here? In the ancient world, the Jewish people, a Jewish man could divorce his wife with no fault. In other words, a man could divorce his wife because she burned the dinner, or the tortillas, or the toast. He could divorce his wife for practically any reason at all. And so long as he wanted to, he could write her a certificate of divorce and say, go on out of my life, out of my house. This left that woman without anyone to provide for her or to care for her. Jesus says, no, no, no. Grace has raised the standard. And he's calling out the evils of no-fault divorce. He's saying to a man, you cannot send your wife away just because she burned the toast or the tortillas or because you don't think you can get along with her. He's saying, woman, you can't divorce your husband just because he snores at night. If you will let grace come in, grace will heal your marriage and grace will restore your marriage. Because the consequences of divorce are far too severe. You see, the ancient, the ancient traditions of man had created an off-ramp. Some easy way for people to get out of the commitment of marriage. But God says to you and to me today, I am the inventor of marriage. Marriage is sacred in my eyes. And a man's commitment to his wife is a very high and precious commitment. So he says, I will give you the grace and the power to love one another, to serve one another, to build up one another, so that that marriage can become a blessing more, rather than a burden, and so that your marriage can be successful, and so that it can be healthy as God designed. There are many examples in this congregation of the grace of God in marriage. And we have many marriages in this congregation who have been married for more than 40 years, 50 years. And why? Because God is true to his word. And if you will let his grace in and teach you, he will make you the marriage that no man can make it. Come on. He is the one that can do that. He's saying you can't just throw away your marriage. If you'll let grace come in, Grace will change what's broken and enhance what is good. Now verse 33. He says, you have heard it said that you shall not make a false vow. You see, in the old times, much like today, people would not keep their word unless they made a vow. I swear on the Bible. 
I swear on the name of the Lord. I swear on the temple in Jerusalem. Much like today on the playground, children cross their heart and hope to die. Right? That means it's real serious. Some people say, I swear on my mama's grave. What are they doing? They're trying to make a natural connection that will require them or force them to obey or to do the thing they said they were going to do. Jesus says, enough with that. Stop making vows. Stop swearing oaths. Instead, what you should do is let your yes be yes and your no, no. What's he teaching us? He's teaching us that the grace of God will do two things in our life. First of all, the grace of God will guard our mouth. How many of you know that it takes grace sometimes to guard your mouth? Listen, you can't go around saying everything you think. And the Bible says, the the, the psalmist David, he writes in Psalm 141, he says, Oh Lord... Keep watch over my mouth and set a guard over my lips. David says, God, I need you to put a guard over my mouth. How many of you know that when when you're walking in the grace of God and suddenly there's an impulse to say something and the Holy Spirit tells you, nope, bite your tongue, don't say that. That's the grace of God at work in your life. The grace of God will guard your mouth. You see, under the law, they had to make vows. They had to to swear to to hope that they would do the thing they actually said they were going to do. But grace will come and teach you how to guard your mouth. And then grace will do this next thing, and it will make you keep your word. Grace will allow you to, to hear the voice of God. And see, friends, when you and I make decisions based on the will of God and the direction of the Holy Spirit, now our yes can be yes and our no, no. And especially in the generation in which you and I live, it is very important that you and I have this change of of character if it's not present in our life, that we be people of our word. Listen. If you get paid to show up at 8 and leave at 5, then be a man and woman of your word and do exactly that. If you say, I'm going to pay you this, that, or the other, then be a man of your word and a woman of your word. Why? Because you're a child of God. And the children of God keep their word because God keeps his word. Come on, somebody. I know sometimes... Sometimes it may be difficult to to keep a commitment. But you know the Bible says that a good man will keep his commitment even if it hurts. Why? Because God is a a covenant-keeping God. And he requires us to be covenant-keeping people. Listen, Jesus is saying the only way you can do that without making outrageous oaths and vows is to be led by the Spirit, to have the, the grace of God operating in your life. And when the grace of God is operating in your life, then you'll say like I taught you last week, if it's God's will, 
I'll take that job. And if you take that job, you'll do the job. Because you have been led by the Spirit of God. Listen. When you and I act like this, when we do these things, empowered by the grace of God to do them, God honors that. And even if it hurts you to keep your word, sooner or later you're going to see the favor of God operating in your life to make up what you may have lost. So always side with God. Say amen, somebody. Verse 38. Verse 38, he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He's talking now about retaliation. He's saying in the ancient world under the law, if somebody did you wrong, you could do them wrong. They flattened your tire, you flattened their tire. If they took your girlfriend, you took their girlfriend. That's the way of the world. That's the flesh. He said that was the way it worked in the law. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Now I can, I can hear the grunting now. Oh, I don't know about that, preacher. He says if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. And if someone requires you to carry a burden for a mile, carry it two miles. What's he talking about there? Some scholars believe that in the, in the Roman world, if a Roman soldier saw you and said, hey, come here, carry this for me, you were required to carry it for a mile. But Jesus says, after the first mile, tell him, I'll carry it another mile. He's teaching us something about his grace. He's saying the tendency of the human heart is to retaliate, to settle the score. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You did it to me, I'm going to do it to you. But Jesus is teaching us, leave revenge and justice with God. He will settle the score. He will be the one that gets the last word. And grace enables you to leave it in God's hands. And to understand that God will have the last word over your life. Can I just tell you today, I can tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, said the Lord, and I will repay. And I can tell you this, if you leave it with God, God will do a much better job of it than you ever could. But it requires the grace of God operating in your life. The grace of God, which enables you to say, Lord, someone did me wrong. But I'm going to leave it in your hands. I'm going to give it to you. Number six, the last one, verse 43. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Look how far the traditions of man have gotten from the word of God. The ancient Jewish tradition said... Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Jesus said, but I say. Can I just give you some advice? Next time you have to make a decision, just say, Lord, what do you say? What do you say? That's going to get you out of a lot of trouble. He said, you have heard it said, 
you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. You see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying when you love your enemy, you prove to be a child of God. You demonstrate that grace is at work in your life. Only grace can cause a man to love his enemy. And to pray for those who persecute. And do you realize why Jesus is saying that you and I should pray for those who persecute us? Because it's hard to hate someone you pray for. It's hard to be angry and bitter at people that you pray for in the presence of God. Then he asks this question. He says, if you love only those who love you, then you don't have a reward. What reward is there in that? Even sinners know how to do that. Even the sinner and the ungodly, they know how to love the one who loves them and hate the one who hates them. But you, you're a child of God. And the grace of God operating in your life will give you the power and the strength to love those who persecute you. And to love those who hate you. And then he says this. If you're not sure about that, just look at God. How does God treat his enemies? The Bible says that he allows it to rain on the just and the unjust. He allows it to be a blessing on the just and the unjust. And that is a sign of the mercy and the love and the grace of God toward man. That he allows blessings to come into the homes of people who hate him. And I want to encourage you today to think about this, friend. Maybe you're listening to me. And I have to tell you, there are only two categories of people. The just and the unjust. The just are those who have been saved by grace, who put their faith in Jesus. The unjust is any man or woman trying to make it without God. They could be a good person and still be unjust as far as God is concerned because you're either lost or you're saved. And Jesus here says, look, God allows it to rain. And rain in the Bible was a sign of the blessing of God. He says, God allows it to rain on the good and the bad, the just and the unjust. And maybe, friend, you're listening to me, and you're unjust. You don't know Jesus as your Savior. And if you stand before God in judgment on the last day, you'll be condemned forever. And yet God is putting blessings in your life, and he's letting you see his mercy, and he's showing you his kindness. And I want to encourage you that today is a day of repentance. And now is a day to say, you know what? God's been better to me than I've been to myself. I need to turn to him. I need to give him my life. I need to give him my obedience. I need to give him my worship. I need to give him my all. Because, friend, the day is going to come when it's going to stop raining. The day is going to come when judgment's going to come into your life.
Today is a day of grace. Right now, it's raining on the just and the unjust. Today, it's raining on you, even though you don't know God, even though you're far from Him, you're still seeing good things in your life, and you're thinking, oh, I'm getting away with it. I don't need God. Look, I got it so good. Without Him, why do I need Him? Don't be mistaken, friend. Someday, all of that's going to come to an end. And you're going to have to account to God for your life without Him. So the Bible says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Has God been good to you? Has He shown you His mercy? Has He shown you His kindness? If you recognize that and you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, I want to encourage you today to say, Lord, I need you. I need a Savior. Because all of these blessings can't change the fact that you need an, a change in the inner man. You need a change in your heart. And the only one who can do that is Jesus. And he'll do that this morning by his grace if you'll give him your heart. And for the body of Christ, I remind you that none of these six things that we've been talking about this morning are even remotely possible except by the grace of God. And so you and I have to live in empowered by His grace every day. And it is that grace at work in our life that makes the difference and that frees us and delivers us. And if there's any one of these six things I mentioned this morning that you're needing help in the area of, I want to give you an opportunity to bring it to Christ and to put it in His hands. First of all, you friend, you say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. Right where you are, I want to lead you in this prayer. Give your life to Christ today and serve him for the rest of your life. Just say, Lord Jesus, I've sinned against you. And I've broken the law of God. I deserve judgment. But this morning... I fall upon your mercy. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And to make me a new creature by your grace. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And this morning I receive that by faith. I receive your forgiveness and eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to do something. I want you to call Kingsway Church or reach us online. And I want you to tell us what has happened in your life because we want to walk with you as you go through this journey of faith in God. Now to the rest of the body of Christ. Are you struggling this morning with anger, bitterness, discontentment? It's time to let grace in. Are you struggling with adultery, lust, pornography, impurity? It's time to let grace in. 
Are you struggling to keep your marriage? Are you struggling to make it work? Do you look around you and say, I want to be like them. I want to be like them. Today, God says, let grace into your marriage. The Holy Spirit will teach you how to speak to your spouse. How to resolve conflict. How to live in your home so that it's like the days of heaven on earth. Let grace in. Are you struggling with the little things like keeping your word? Has your mouth gotten you in trouble? Do you find yourself under so much pressure that things are coming out of your mouth that are condemning you? You find yourself talking more about, I'm going to die, I'm going to be sick all the time, I'm going to be broke. Today, he says, let grace come in. I'll change the way you speak so that you can speak and sound like the, the word of God. Is there a problem in your heart today with forgiveness? Are you seeking to retaliate against someone who's wronged you? Someone who's broken a com commitment to you? Today, Jesus says, let grace in. I'll take care of them. You leave it in my hands. Are you finding it hard to love your enemy? Jesus says, you're a child of God. Let grace in. And love will fill your heart and change your life. Where you are, I want you just to give with any one of those things that you might be dealing with this morning. Just give them to God. Coming all over this congregation, online, let's just give it to God. And say, Lord, I need your grace this morning. I need your help this morning. I can't do this on my own. And trust me, if you'll do that, you'll be like Paul. You'll be saying, it's not me. It's the grace of God at work in my life. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you. And we bring to you every one of these weaknesses of the human heart. And we say to you, God, we tried it by ourselves and we couldn't find success. The law could not save us. But today, grace has saved us. And we know that it's by your grace that we'll have victory. It's by your grace that we'll see our families restored. It's by your grace that we'll see our inner man changed into the likeness and will of God. Oh, friend, don't ignore Jesus this morning. Take him for his word. Take him for his word. He and only he can do this thing in your life today. It's time for a change. It's time for growth. It's time to go to a new level.